0: Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker.
1: Last October, I did an interview with Doug Badger, who is the visiting fellow in domestic policy studies at the Heritage Foundation. And we talked about the need for rapid testing of COVID. Well, now rapid testing is a reality somewhat. Let's put a question mark after that because I want to talk to Doug about where we are today and what mass, the mass mandates, how effective they are being, and what else we need to do and how we need to approach this whole problem. Because here we are sitting here in January and we still are in a rather crazy state with COVID. Um, Doug, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. It's so nice to have you back.
0: Nice to be here, Shirley.
1: Okay. Now, when we were talking last fall, um, we were all kind of in a state of panic. We didn't know about vaccines and whatnot. Now we have vaccines that are coming out. There's some discussion about the how the Biden administration is going to control the distribution. Um, some of it is rather controversial, but at any rate, let's talk first off about the state of rapid testing and why you think that is so important and how it can have a significant impact on what's happening with COVID.
0: Well, thank you, Shirley. Yeah, I, I want to start with why we believe it would have an impact. When we, when we talk about rapid uh, testing, these are called rapid antigen tests, uh, we're talking about at home tests that you can get should be available without a prescription and the, that you can get your results back in 15 to 30 minutes. These cost about a dollar or so to produce. Uh, they can be produced at, at the rates of the tens of millions per day. And it would enable us to find out our COVID status and uh, not have to wait for laboratory results and, and then take appropriate steps to uh, keep from um, infecting others. Since we last spoke, the FDA still has not approved these rapid antigen tests that uh, can be broadly distributed throughout the public. They did, however, in December, for the first time, approve a test uh, that you can do at home that is available with, without a prescription. Unfortunately, it costs about thirty dollars per test, which is a little steep. Yeah, that is. And unfortunately, is produced by an Australian firm that believes they can ship twenty million to the United States over the first six months of this year. Which clearly, for a country of three hundred thirty million people, that's that's not good enough. But it is progress, and we're hoping that the FDA will will take the next step and, and make these. Uh, Relatively inexpensive tests much more broadly available. What is
1: the what is the holdup with the FDA? Are they concerned about the testing? I I don't mean that the the testing itself but the testing of the tests Is there something in the development phase that's holding them up or what what's going on? What is the delay in getting it out to the public?
0: These tests are are less accurate than the so-called PCR tests the ones that what you, we may be familiar with that you have the, um, the nasal swab and then it's sent off to a, a laboratory and you get the results back in two or three or four days uh, later. And, uh, and, and and so those are used for clinical diagnosis that your doctor uh, may, may, would may advise you, for example, to get that kind of test. The difference here is and and what offsets the 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 loss in accuracy in our view are three things first we would be testing tens of millions of people a day as opposed to two million so by virtue of that we will be identifying a whole bunch of people sooner than we do now when people generally get tested when they believe they've been exposed Secondly, and importantly, because these tests are, are uh, in, in you can test yourself multiple times. You can think about testing yourself once a week or twice a week, which also uh, contributes to uh, alleviating the concerns about accuracy. And finally, you get the results in minutes rather than in days. I mean, it's great to know that I didn't have COVID four days ago, but uh, it's not quite the same. As knowing that I tested myself now and I, I I know I don't have it. So Yeah, because if you've got something
1: important coming up and you need to meet with people, and you even though you may practice social distancing and so on, you really it, it would be a comfort, I think, to everybody to know that somebody just took a test and they came out and said that they didn't have it. Now, the question of accuracy, I can understand that, but what is the level of accuracy that is being um, met with these tests now and what is the FDA shooting for?
0: Well, they vary. Uh, some of them are uh, testing accurately at the, at the 90% range, uh, which is, again, a little lower than the PCR test. The, uh, the issue there, however, is for some people who still have a low viral load. In other words, they, they haven't manifested sy- symptoms as yet these tests are less sensitive than the PCR test. Now, there's a plus and a minus to that. Um, the PCR test, you may test positive weeks after you're no longer contagious because they're so sensitive, they pick up tiny traces of the virus. But the PCR tests are, are, are better at identifying people in the early stages of infection uh, than these uh, rapid antigen tests are.
1: But it seems to me that I, I guess you have to look at a trade-off here between, okay, I'm going to go into a meeting comfortable, feeling pretty darn certain that I don't have COVID because I just took a test versus somebody going into a meeting after four days ago's testing and not knowing what they've been exposed to in the interim. And then I do appreciate what you're talking about, the viral load, which might be give a um, a, a not saying that you have it, but yet you might actually be infective. Is that
0: the issue there? Yeah, that's right. And and again, Dr. Fauci, I think, addressed this very, very clearly back in November when he said, look, you if if you test yourself, you're maybe having a, a small family dinner with your parents and maybe a couple of siblings, and everybody tests themselves. Uh, he said you will greatly reduce the the risk of, of, of in, infecting others. He said, now the risk isn't zero, but nothing in life is 100%. That's right, and yes, so that's if, very true. If we can greatly reduce that risk, and by the way, if I test positive, I'm not gonna have that family dinner, I'm gonna- no. Nope, you're not, that's right. You're gonna say, okay,
1: stay away until we get this straightened out. Okay, let's just take a to brief pause here to let our listeners know that they're tuned into of consuming interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Doug Badger. He's a visiting fellow in domestic policy studies at the Heritage Foundation. And we're talking about the COVID testing and the rapid testing and the the need for it and how it could fill. You know, I think what one of the things that that you just said that was so impressive to me, Doug, was the fact that you talked about you could do the test and be Pretty darn certain that you're going to meet with family and friends, and you're not going to contact. They're not going to catch a, a virus from you. The other thing is, if you've been exposed to it, and um, you don't know whether or not you've gotten it, how does that impact on this? Would uh, let's say you were exposed to it yesterday. Well, let me give you an example of someone that I know who called me, and he said. Well, I had dinner with my daughter last night. He had just gotten a, a negative test back that he had done through the nose thing, the whole thing that took, took a few days. He had just gotten his results back is that he didn't have COVID. He had dinner with his daughter. The next morning she contacts him and tells him that she's just been tested positive for COVID. Now, in the and I know you're not a
0: doctor, Doug, but I don't
1: want to put you on the spot. But now, how, how does someone handle something like
0: that? Well, I'll tell you uh, how I handled it. Uh, my wife and I both had uh, COVID over, uh, over the Christmas holidays. And by the way, we wear masks and we practice distancing, all of which reduces your risk, but you can't eliminate that risk with, with a virus that is spreading as quickly as this. The first thing we did was call our doctor. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people want to play sort of amateur public health uh, uh, officials in this. We've all read and heard all these different uh, different things, and we all have different ideas in our minds. But I would say, in that situation, if I were your friend, the first thing I would do is call my, my doctor, have that conversation, and see what he or she would advise them to do. Uh, chances are they'd tell them, first of all, quarantine isolate don't have contact with other mm-hmm. people secondly get a test um and um, the, you know they may want to wait a, co- a, a couple of days before they do the test to, uh, to
1: yeah that quarantine. was what i what i told him i said look i don't think you because i was talking to him the next day and he was extremely upset <laughs> he said here i just got my test back and because he was he was planning on a, a meeting and he said and my daughter tells drums this news on me and i and i said well you know From what I've read, you do not want to get the test right away. Wait a few days, I guess. I don't know how long it takes to incubate, but um, I haven't talked to him since. I need to follow up. But at any rate, so so the advice here is call your doctor. Absolutely. And whether or not you have symptoms or not, that that would be the thing to do if you think you've been exposed. But you didn't know you've been exposed. Is that right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, um, actually, uh, Debbie, my wife, started exhibiting cold-like symptoms, and we thought, eh, you know, let's uh, let's be uh, uh, careful about this. Get a test done, and and uh, it turned out our local pharmacy actually had uh, was, was using rapid tests, uh, and she got a positive result, and I scheduled uh, my my test for for the next day. So, no, we didn't necessarily know we'd been exposed, but You know, in our age bracket, when you start exhibiting any kinds of symptoms uh, in this environment, it's probably probably a good thing to get tested. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: I'm glad that you 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 two are are doing okay. But where do you see the rapid testing availability? Now, you said your pharmacy used a rapid test. These are not widely available uh, to the general public yet, I gather.
0: No, they're not. And uh, again, you, you you need to do it under under medical supervision. We're we're looking again for over the counter tests that you can do at home. Yeah, uh, and read your own results. And, and you know, there's been, as I said, a little bit of progress with the FDA. Uh, they've approved one type of this test. It will only be a limited supply, and it's a little too pricey. Uh, But, you know, President Biden's uh, administration, on the White House website, on their first day in office, uh, put out a COVID plan, and one of the things they've said is that they want to invest in next generation testing, including at home tests and instant tests, so we can scale up our testing capacity by orders of magnitude. Now, I can't say for sure. Uh, that he's uh, his administration saying the same thing than we that 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 we've been saying for, for many yeah. months now, but it sure is encouraging.
1: Well, that does make sense, and, and that is a good thing to, to be hearing. Okay, so now we're talking about the testing. This is going to help us to determine whether or not we have it. And if we have rapid testing, we can test ourselves frequently. And if they're inexpensive, even, even more so. Um but right now you're saying there are some tests available, but they're like $30 a pop and that's, uh, that's pretty hefty. So, okay, let's, go, let's move on to one of the other things that you've talked and written about, and that is whether or not the mask helps. Now, I just I got through reading where the Biden administration has a policy that on any federal land, you have to wear a mask. Um, I think most of us are wearing masks anyway, just to feel a little more protected. Um, and I have no idea of what kind of a period that's gonna cover, whether that's forever or what. But um, w- what is your take on what is happening? I just got through reading something about some of the the specialists in England are saying that the, the lockdown in UK is not working. Um, are lockdowns work? Do masks work? What's, what is your view of all of that, Doug?
0: Well, well there's no, no question that there's a, a good deal of evidence that mask wearing slows uh, the, the rate of spread. It reduces the risk. But again, it, it doesn't prevent the virus from spreading necessarily. And it certainly hasn't prevented the spike in cases either here or abroad. My colleague at Heritage Foundation, Norbert Michelle and I did a a paper. We looked into this. Of the 25 U.S. counties that reported the highest number of new cases during the surge that began this past fall, 21 of those 25 counties had mask mandates in place before August. Similarly, of the 100 counties uh, with the most confirmed cases, 97 had either a county level mask mandate, a state level mask mandate, or both. We also looked abroad and said, well, what, how about a national mask mandate? Italy has a, a mandate uh, that uh, carry your, it's a thousand euro fine if you're caught being out of your home without a mask. Uh, again, Italy had an enormous run up in cases, dwarfing what they had back in the spring where we saw all of those horrific scenes from Milan and Bergamo and other cities, our point is that, again, not to say don't wear masks. You should wear a mask to re, to reduce the risk of transmission. But if the public, if your public policy is going to depend on mask ma- mandates or, or or lockdowns, we know that that's not going to stop the spread. We need to bring additional strategies into play. Okay,
1: let's just take a pause here and talk about those additional strategies after the break. Uh, You're listening to Off Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Doug Badger. He's a visiting fellow in domestic policy studies at the Heritage Foundation, and he and a colleague are talking about what they have found and what needs to be done beyond lockdowns and masks. And and I'm sorry to have interrupted you, Doug, but would you like to pick up where you left off?
0: Sure, Uh, when we we talk about um, wearing masks, we do absolutely wear a mask. Uh, But from a government public policy perspective, they, they have to be doing a lot more than that. And one thing, the most obvious thing, I suppose, is, is uh, doing a better job in, in, in nursing homes. Uh, nursing home residents represent 0.5% of COVID cases and 37% of deaths.
1: Oh, wow. Well, they're a very vulnerable population.
0: Yeah, and, and they are by definition on lockdown. The only way the virus gets in is through staff, or visitors. And unfortunately the federal standard right now is to test staff once a week. That's screen visitors with a temporal thermometer. That is clearly not good enough. Now they're they're making progress in immunizing residents, immunizing staff, but look, the threat is still out there and we've got to be doing a lot more until we're certain that we have uh, uh, protected them properly through immunization. The second thing, as I mentioned, is, is uh, the widespread use of rapid self-testing so that we can be screening 20 or 30 million people a day, people screening themselves and taking steps not to, not to spread the, uh, the disease further. And then finally, I, we've been advocating for some time the, the availability of voluntary isolation of facilities that people can go to People who have uh, vulnerable uh, uh, older people or people with serious diseases living in the home, the last thing you want to do when you find out somebody's infected is to send that person uh, into um, uh, quarantine in the home with another vulnerable person. I mean, right. the yeah. home is one of the principal places where this is spreading. Because once we do identify a person, we say, okay, lock yourself in a house with your, with your family. Well,
1: oh, yes, yeah. and your poor family, okay.
0: <laughs> so so I, I think those, those three things uh, should be there. We're making progress in nursing homes through immunization. We're seeing some favorable things from the Biden administration, at least an openness to these uh, home tests. Um, and look, we're gonna need to do things because it's gonna take a, a good while still uh, to get uh, enough people immunized.
1: Well, what is the um, the schedule of for getting the vaccine? Do you have any? I mean, I think it depends on the state, and and I I mean, we're in Maryland, and we feel like we don't know much of anything. Uh, we did sign up at a website, but that didn't tell us anything except that you just put your name on a list. Um, so I'm not. I'm. I'm. First off, I think people are hungry for information. And maybe we don't have it to give. I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going on. Can you give me any insight?
0: Sure. I mean, there are differences from community to community. I'm here in Florida. Uh, the 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 county is just offering it. You show up the, and uh, you wait in line, and you're in the car, and you and you get your shot. And then uh, after you get your shot, you get a, a an appointment for your uh, for your booster shot. Other places are doing it differently. I do think that some of the early disruptions um, are going to work themselves out in time. Eventually, um, we're going to have uh, more tests out there. Right now, demand outstrips supply. Um, I think that'll catch up over time. But um, yeah, it's it's going to differ from community to community, and you should check with your doctor or your county health department to find out what's. Uh, What's going on in your community and how it, what you have to do, and yeah. know uh, uh, vaccines.
1: Well, I'm I'm hoping that it's going to be here sometime soon. Um, I know that first line respondents in Maryland have gotten shots, but uh, it seems that um, and people, some people with certain conditions that make them vulnerable. But anyway, um, we're hoping, and we're hoping that those vaccines, they seem to be working effectively. We really are not hearing any negative inputs from them, except a few people have had allergic reactions, but that's to be expected of any kind of inoculation, isn't it? I don't think that's unusual. What is your feeling about when do you think we might get to what we call herd immunity? Do you have a, got a, have you got a crystal ball there, Doug, to take a look?
0: I wish I did. The Biden administration has talked about uh, 100 million doses in the first 100 days, so that would put us roughly in early May. I'm not clear whether they mean we'd immunize 100 million people or whether 50 million people get their initial shot and their booster. I'm not entirely uh, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, with what they're saying, but on on any um, at least it's going to take the first half of 2021 and potentially longer uh, to get a sufficient number of people immunized to where public health authorities will be more comfortable with returning to whatever normal used to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah you think we can remember <laughs> normal? What is that? Oh my goodness. Okay. We've only got a couple of minutes left here. What would be your final advice to cons- to the consumers who are listening to us? And, and so many people are still in, you know, the anxiety I think that goes with this and the not knowing is part of it. That's so bad. So the first thing they should do is go to their own health site for their own lo- locality and see what they're telling you about, inoculations. Well, I think that's what we've done. We've signed up. So I know some people in Virginia have been scheduled for vaccine, for the vaccine. So anyway, we're waiting. We're waiting, Doug. Any yeah. last minute advice? Well the only Hang other, in there,
0: huh? The, the, well, the advice is, look, use common sense. I mean, there, there are um, people who are older, people who are uh, particularly vulnerable, uh to to this regardless of whether your governor or your local official says it's okay to go to restaurants or so forth you need to understand that you need to be taking extra precautions
1: sure yeah you're absolutely right you're absolutely right a lot of it's going to come down to us and using good sense so um, I, I totally, totally understand that. Well, thank you for giving us a real insight into what's going on. I think, that's, I think that can be helpful and comforting to people to know that there are a lot of positive things that are going on and we just have to kind of hunker down for a little while and, and let it happen. Again, Doug, it's been a real treat to, uh, to talk with you. Thank you so much for being with us. I've been talking with Doug Badger who is a visiting fellow in domestic policy studies at the Heritage Foundation. And you've been listening to Of Consuming Interest right here on the Federal News Network. And you can reach me at Shirley at callforaction.org. That's Shirley at callforaction.org. Thank you for joining us. And thank you, Doug.